Hello and welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly eyes's 1978 Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly. And this time, Rob and I aren't alone. Join us in welcoming our first guest to the show. He's got more podcasts under his belt than Lex Luthor has wigs. He recently launched his own podcasting network, the Fortress of Bailey Network, including the Overlooked Dark Knight, and it all comes back to Superman. Say hello to Superman's pal, Michael Bailey. Yeah, pal in that legally, uh, not legally binding kind of way. So, uh, <laughs> no, thank you so much. You, uh, We are talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, I'm very pleased to be part of this. We could hardly do a Superman podcast and not have you on, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm glad that I've developed the reputation I wanted to develop at the beginning. So it's, a, it's all going to plan is what I'm saying. <laughs> Better have one of those bad reputations, you know. You don't want one of those. <laughs> we saw some things squall, scrawled on the Heroes Con bathroom walls, you know, Michael Bailey. Never mind. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And they were all in Shag's handwriting, and they were all about how I don't have an in-stock trades ad. So we're, gonna, we're just going to go with that. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, actually, Michael, you came in for some very important moments in this film. Uh, in our last episode, we saw a dejected Clark Kent show off in front of his Smallville classmates who ditched him at a football practice. Jonathan Kent called him out on his hot dogging, and as the two walk up the lane toward the house, Paul gives him some sage advice. These five minutes begin with Jonathan saying, what is that, uh, Rob? What's that that uh, Jonathan says to Clark? You are here for a reason. That's right. I knew that was your favorite part of the movie, so I had to let you say that. <laughs> I appreciate it. It is my single favorite line of this entire movie. <laughs> uh, and obviously one that resonates throughout the movie. And uh, then it ends this segment we're talking about today, the, these five minutes, end with Clark holding the green glowing crystal he found in the barn. And then there's a few seconds of actually the exterior of the farm, but you know the the dramatic moment is the is the crystal. So, so that's where we're at, guys. So we start with Paul Kent's most famous line, and uh, so what do, what do we think, guys? What what a, you know this is Rob's favorite moment. Let's discuss. Yeah, well, I'll go I'll go first if you don't if you don't mind. Though I'm being rude to our guest. Uh, yeah, this is my favorite scene of the movie. Um, this is my favorite line. There is just something about the way. Uh, Glenn Ford delivers the you're here for a reason bit that is to me it's just very stirring and in in a movie you know full of uh, Superman action which we'll get to uh, I'm I'm sort of constantly amazed that this quiet scene is the one that that stirs me the most but it does it just it feels like all the promise of Superman uh, is in this moment and it's so totally owned by Glenn Ford I just I just think it's a uh, just brilliant and it never fails to kind of give me goosebumps when i hear when i hear pa can't say it the thing about this scene that confuses me is how people can watch this movie watch this scene and then ask why does superman do what he does hmm. it, it it just it just blows my mind because the the whole thing about superman the movie being as special as it is 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 not only because it's the first, you know, as everyone says, the first big budget superhero film, you know, ever and the template for everything that followed. But it, it really kind of gave a larger audience 
a more introspective look at Clark Kent and Superman. And I don't think it gets enough credit for that because it doesn't do as much navel gazing as other films featuring Superman's origin that may have come out about four years ago. Um, <laughs> That's a polite way of putting it, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, modern audiences would look at this and go, God, why don't you just get to either, why don't you get to the action or why don't we spend 20 more minutes on this? And in one scene, and, I, and I'm reasonably sure that Mankiewicz wrote this part of the film, uh, you know, that, you know, I don't have the script to compare it, but this seems to me one of the things that Mankiewicz and Donner would have put their heads together on and tried to make more human. And the fact that you do have, you know, it's, it's a simple shot. It's, it's a two shot where the camera's backing up as they're walking up the hill and Jonathan kind of lays it out because if you have superpowers, if you can run faster than a train, if you can get a touchdown every time, why would you not want to take advantage of that? And here's Pa, or Dad, as he calls him, saying, quite simply, you know, you're, you're not here for that. Look, you know, whatever reason you're here, it's not that. So don't waste your potential on making touchdowns and, you know, ticking off Brad, you know, <laughs> do what you need to do. And, and it's such a special moment. And it, it, I'm, I'm kind of like Rob. It kind of gives me goosebumps every time I see it because it's that moment. It's that it's the single moment where Superman's purpose is laid out and it's done in the most simple setting possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, and I love that, that Glenn Ford doesn't, he doesn't have the answer. You know, he's like, uh, you know, I don't know whose reason or what reason that to me that, and that makes it more real, you know, it's yeah, not that he, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't have this prepared speech. Well, I was wondering when you're going to ask me that son. And he pulls out a piece of paper from his, <laughs> you know, pocket, you know, and, 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 you know, this acts as the movie version of Jonathan Kent's deathbed scene. that was in all the origins pre John Byrne, you know, um, even in, in stories where, Superman had been Superboy. There was still that that deathbed scene with Jonathan, where you know he told him to you know to always use his powers for good, and you know so this is this is basically that moment. It just feels you know it just feels more natural and and real. You know it's it's not as as you know comic melodramatic. It's it's uh, it's just it's it's just expertly done, and it's really. It's really well acted, well between the three people, really, because you got Jeff Easton and Christopher Reeve's voice, and plus Lynn Ford. Uh, so it's uh, and and Jeff East's prosthetic nose, as we talked about last time. Uh, so, <laughs> but it's 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 it, it gives me goosebumps too. Yeah, it's I mean it's it, yeah it's this is the foundation of of Superman's moral compass right here. Yeah. That nose is going to be signing autographs at Dragon Con this year, by the way. <laughs> hasn't had much of a career since this film, but has managed to kind of eke out a living going to conventions. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> he'll, si- he'll sign one copy uh, for free, and then the other, anything past that's going to cost. <laughs> Can I just say on a technical level, and this is something I never noticed before, but of course this is what happens when you study the movie under a microscope like we're doing, is that, um, you don't see, I mean, and I don't know, this is just pure 
professionalism. But you uh, you don't notice any dolly track on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, no. this is all one slow shot, and they clearly had to have some dolly track laid down as they're pulling the camera up as uh, Jeff East and Glenn Ford approach, but you never see it. And that's, again, I think that's just probably pure professionalism on the camera operator's part, on Donner's part, on the cinematographer's part, and probably for, and on Jeff East and Glenn Ford's part for staying in their shot. You know, they're staying mm-hmm. in the exact space they're supposed to be. But, yeah, Chris, I never really thought about it that way, about that, that I love the clip that uh, Pa Kent doesn't have an answer. He's just, he has a general sense of the promise of his son. And, uh, you know, it's not to score touchdowns, which is obviously something John Byrne disagreed with. But, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I love that, that idea. That is a really, I, that is great. Yeah, he doesn't have a PowerPoint presentation. You know, like, oh, well, here's all the things I was going to tell you about. It's just... Here's some general guidelines to go by, and it's not to do this, it's not to do, the, it's not to do that, it's not for self-aggrandizement. It is, you know, it's, it's something purer, something more nobler, and, you know, man, that, and, and of course the timing of this is in that it's the last thing Pa Kent ever gets to say to his son uh, just fills it with that much more weight. And uh, I mentioned in the last episode that, you know, these movies at the time, and probably pretty much still to this day, don't get much love from awards, award shows, because, you know, they're just considered sort of popcorn exercises. But I, I thought Glenn Ford was such, so good in this part that I have, you know, always am a little irked that he didn't get at least nominated for an Oscar. I thought he was, I really think he's the, the sort of the, 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 the pulsing heart of this movie, and considering that he's, uh, out of it as of uh, 31 minutes is, is pretty amazing other than the one little moment in the voiceover he comes back at the end but this is yeah this is just such a terrific scene and i'm imagining mike that's one of the reasons why you wanted to be on these minutes mm-hmm. absolutely i mean it doesn't come out of fear there, there's no you know hide who you are because they're going to be afraid of you which on you know on a technical level if we're talking you know just literary and, and nothing else yeah, that's a valid way of doing it. But on a personal level, I want to see a Jonathan Kent that is going to look at his son as something that is going to be a force for, I don't want to say force for good because that sounds a little too simplistic, but he's going to be a, uh, he's going to, he- he's going to use his abilities to help people. And when you frame it like they did, and it's such a, it's such a simple little, Scene. I mean, really, when you when you when you look at the entirety of the 143 minutes, this is one minute of you know a two-hour, 23-minute film, and yet, as Rob pointed out, it's the thing that carries through. I mean, you later on, and I'm not going to get into it obviously because you haven't got there yet. We're going to see another father figure, you know, deliver the you know <laughs> the birds and the bees Kryptonian style, but. Now, you know, if you're going to get to the the human part of Superman, which is, to me, his most important component, this is where that comes from. Yeah, and I, and I think this movie and scenes like this movie created that eventual shift that you saw in the comic books with Byrne, really, from the more Kryptonian Superman to the more human Superman. Oh, the, I can the totally super- see that. The, the Superman that was, wasn't was really Kal-El, he was really Clark Kent, you know. Uh, that's who the real person was, and uh, the real Clark Kent. And, uh, I, you know, even though we get a very caricatured portrayal of Clark Kent in the movie to work within the movie here, 
but I, I think you kind of see the beginning of that because it's, I mean, let's face it, there are 10 years of a TV show based on this, these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. You know, so, I mean, it, it, they, there was enough here in these very few minutes that we spend in Smallville or really on the outskirts of Smallville uh, in the county that uh, it was enough there uh, to to make a, a little a little cottage industry for 10 years you know uh, so it's it's uh, there there's a lot here to uh, to unpack in, in a short amount because it's just so well done by everybody involved I love how Glenn Ford handled the scene by himself here where he realizes what's happening to him and mm-hmm. uh, on the audio commentary, uh, Richard Donner mentions that, that Glenn Ford studied it, looked it up about, you know, how, how people handle it when they know they're having a heart attack and the whole, you know, oh, God. And then he falls. Out. And, and um, cinematic wise, I love that as soon as Glenn Ford uh, keels over, uh, Donner cuts to that long shot. Mm-hmm. Never, and we don't ever, we don't ever get another close up of Jonathan Kent. I love that sort of. There's that feeling of uh, isolation that all of a sudden we are now far away from Jonathan Kent, and we we don't see him up close anymore after this. I think that's I think that's just a nice stylistic choice that Donner made, as opposed to do maybe like a big close up of him laying there or anything like that. It's just the minute he falls out of the frame, he's gone. He's out of the movie, you know, and we, we don't get that warmth of him again. And we see everybody reacting, but we don't, you know, there's that long shot where we see Clark running up to the body. And it, I don't know, in some weird way, it almost preserves Potkin's dignity a little bit that we don't see mm-hmm. him in that, in that compromised position. Cause we don't really know, is he dead at this exact moment? Did he last a little longer? Or, you know, we don't, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's he's gone. And so I, I think that's a great, uh, again, just a, a good combo of Richard Donner and editor Stuart Baird. I think it's a. It, I, I really think this scene is flawless. I really, I'm going to go on and on about it. We have to move on to other minutes, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I just think this is just such a perfect, perfect moment in this movie. Yeah, I, I think um, I really like how you know when when Clark, you know, you get that close up of him running out of the barn. He's like, Dad, and then the camera pulls back, and it's like. John, uh, Martha and Clark are so small in yep. this moment, and and that that just you know hammers in that there's nothing they can do. You know this is this is when life gets bigger than anything anybody can handle, and it just happens. And uh, it's really it's really beautifully done. It's also the moment the way it pulls back, and I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Rob. Is that this is for them? This is a personal moment with this family, you know, and we're not going to intrude upon that Mm. almost, Uh, you know, and and it's on a storytelling level. It is more dramatic to pan away and then go to the funeral than it is to have him turn him over and, you know, them having, uh, you know, a last few moments together. We had the last moments we need to have with this character. You know, he he did. He said what he needed to say. And going from that to that beautiful sweeping shot of Alberta, Canada, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and, and with the fake uh, with the fake church in the background. Oh, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to bring that up. It's beautiful, <laughs> that church back there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where every time I uh, see this this moment in the movie, I'm like, I want to live there. 
yeah. that looks so peaceful. <laughs> and then you realize it's a funeral and you go, I mean, this is, I, I'm, I'm going to admit something. Um, in watching the scene for this podcast, this is the first time that I ever teared up at Pa's death. I don't know it's because I was paying that close of attention to it. You know, like sometimes, you know, you're you see a movie a thousand times. There are movies where you have the same moment every single time. But with me and watching this, I guess I was just so emotionally cued into the scene that I'm actually sitting there with tears in my eyes going, he just lost his father. And then going to the funeral, it's even it, 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 it's almost even sadder. And we have the most if you are here for a reason is the most important line in the film. We get the second most important line during the funeral, mm-hmm. which is all those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't save him. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, oh, okay, there are things Superman can't do, you know. And there is uh, one of the producers of the Superman radio show back in the 40s, when they were trying to figure out how to kind of crack the code on this character, one of them, and I forget his name, and I apologize for not looking it up, you know, basically said, you know, the amazing thing about Superman is what he can't do. You know, figure out things Superman can't do and you have your drama. Hmm. And here we have like an entire theme built around it that there are things that this, you know, he can fly, he's invulnerable, he can outrace a train, but he can't save the life of the most important man in his life. And that's just, that's so powerful to me. Yeah, I mean, we all, everybody who's lost a loved one always wonders, you know, what could I have done while they were here? You know, could I have done something to help them? Imagine being Superman, you know, being Clark Kent. Uh, I mean, that'd be multiplied, you know, so many times over in your mind. You know, I mean, uh, it's we saw him, just saw him race a train, yet he wasn't fast enough to run over to his father and resuscitate him or, you know, or, or do whatever he needed to do. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, and, and this scene is like like Mike said it's it's so beautiful and yes it's very it's not very flat like I think Kansas is mm. uh, <laughs> but it's so beautiful who cares you know and and the music the the, the John Williams music uh, it, of course is wonderful throughout this movie but it's 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 hauntingly beautiful here and it uh, it never fails to you know when I'm just listening to the soundtrack which I do a lot of course um, it, it never fails to, to, to get me a little, you know, I mean, I'm not like tearing up or choking up over the music, but it's still, you know, I, I recognize when, where it's from in the movie and it, and it, 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 it's a little melancholy, you know, did you guys ever wonder who is the couple that's standing there behind uh, Martha and Clark? Is that the, <laughs> is that the Hubbards? I mean, who is that? <laughs> Well, I, you know, if I wanted to put a lot of thought into it, uh, I, I would probably want to say it's like the Hubbards are family friends. Uh, if I wanted to be kind of cynical about it, they're just the the old couple in the church that go to all of the funerals just because that's their social life. Right. Right. <laughs> they say there's going to be a meal afterwards, you know, or something. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> No, that was awful, but... Uh, yeah, but it's kind of accurate in certain ways. I mean, you know, yeah. I, grew up, I grew up Catholic, so funerals are, you know, there's a lot of 
it, it, it sounds weird to say, but there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around a Catholic funeral. Mm, uh, true enough. But it seemed, but uh, moving down to the south and and seeing going to some funerals of people who were Baptist or Methodist, it, it does seem like there's a social aspect to it mm. that uh, that's kind of weird in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like it's just like are you are you here for the spaghetti dinner afterwards or are you here because you're mourning the death of a human being? So right, uh, I'm just gonna assume they were friends of the family that we that they you know <laughs> they're the ones that was like where did this kid come from? Oh, child of my cousin from North Dakota, just now orphaned. So you know it's all cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't yeah. know if either one of you guys have ever been to an Irish wake, but uh, man, it's like a buffet at Vegas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's been several, several deaths in my family where we've actually like had so much food brought to us. That's like, we've got to, can we take this to a shelter somewhere? I mean, we, we can't possibly eat all this, you know, so, um, which, uh, why are, uh, wow, I'm sorry. I derailed this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I always just figured the Kents must have had some friends. You know, that's just, sure. I just sort of figured that's that's who they were. I mean, I, I I thought it was funny that Ben Hubbard sort of comes back in Superman Returns. I thought that was kind of a nice yeah. touch that, that he's still around. Uh, if you if you want to get real dark, you could say he's been waiting for Jonathan to kick off so he can get a shot at Martha Kent. But let's not go down that <laughs> path. Um, but anyway, no, you you mentioned like the the, the church and the, the church yes. is just a flat. Uh, that they built to scale, and that is that's genius, you know. Mm-hmm. That and and uh, again, I, I keep I'm going to keep referring to. I'm going to stop apologizing. I keep referring to the audio commentary that Donner and Michael would say, but it's my favorite one, and it has so much information. And they talk about that that when they were scoping out this part of the set um, or or the location, um, Donner said to production designer John Barry, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could have a little church at the top of the hill there? And Barry was like, get out of here. We can't do that. And then the next, like, day later or two days later, Donner shows up to shoot, and there's the church. Barry went ahead and got <laughs> it built. And basically, if you really, literally walked up to that church, it would be up to, like, your, your waist. And it looks mm-hmm. perfect. It looks yeah, it absolutely perfect. And it's like you think about how much would they spend now to do that in CGI, you know, when oh, it was yeah. literally built by a couple of guys with some wood and some paint, you know, and it looks flawless. Yeah, it was never built by Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder and a right. bunch of railroad workers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mongo's behind there, bang, banging it together. Yeah. yeah. So now that you make that Sorry. joke, it, uh, I, I'm now wanting to redub the scene of Clark and Pa walking up the thing with the scene of Gene Wilder explaining why things went badly for Bart <laughs> on the first day. <laughs> you know. Morons. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I will totally second uh, and third and fourth uh, every time Rob recommends the commentary by Mankiewicz and Donner for this film. One, because Mankiewicz isn't with us anymore. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is this is his almost definitive statement on the movie. But two, it is so much fun to see oh. these t- these two guys just he's like it's almost like they're not doing a commentary, but they're sitting in in your house and you got like a case of beer and a pizza, oh, and, exactly. and they're just telling you all about it. It's just oh, great. I'm so in love with those two guys after that commentary. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. So we pull away, you know, from the in the shot as 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 Martha and and Clark are walking. I almost say Martha and Jonathan. 
uh, Martha and Clark, Clark are walking away from the cemetery. It, it's you know it pulls up, and then you, the, the music really kicks into this uh, sweeping moment, and it's 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 great. And then we cut to the farmhouse at night, and uh, Clark's radio has got a lot of static in it. <laughs> It is so eerie, too, because you have William's score kind of humming in the background a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's this, you hear the static, but is it like a song or something? But you hear like a haunting, like almost banshee cry from the radio a little bit. But it's probably just, you know, like one of the the songs that wasn't coming through the static. And then he turns it off, and you still have that sense of there is a sound that is bothering him. And it is just, you know, they they tried to duplicate this in Superman Returns to diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. But it, it is just one of those moments, it, 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 it never fails to creep me out a little bit. Because mm-hmm. it, it turns, like, this very, like, important scene into something that almost is filmed like a horror movie. Yeah, uh, at the at the at the outset of the scene. Yeah, I mean it's it looks, and I, I I don't think they're doing day for night. I think it's supposed to be at like the break of dawn. It's it's almost light outside, and to me that's almost that's that gives it even an even more eerie feel than if it was just at night. You mm-hmm. know, because there's just enough light to throw shadows, and uh, just create this this like you said this very horror almost atmosphere like when he throws you know pulls the doors open on the barn i you know i mean that that moment could come from a horror film you're right i mean it's uh it's it's you know it, and the whole thing with the crystal i love that angle because it just adds this mythic you know sword in the stone type element to superman that that's all the movie you know that had not existed before so it's fantastic. In a weird way, it almost feels like Clark is now more vulnerable because Jonathan's not around. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, he's not protected as much, even though we all know he's Superman, he's invulnerable, but there's just an eerie sense of there's nobody to look after him exactly. Uh, and I think that's that, that's kind of an eerie thing. Now, did you guys ever think, like, I, the movie doesn't establish this, and I've always wondered it, is this that night? Is this the night of the funeral, or is this sometime later? Uh, I was wondering that too. I I think, uh, I think the scene of him picking up the crystal and then the morning. I don't know if that happened the next. I don't think that happened the next morning because when he's out in the field and she goes to to see him and he's looking out because he said he talked to Ben Hubbard yesterday and I think he. Oh, there had to right. Be a, I forgot about that. There had to be a day in between because he made the decision to leave once he found the crystal, you know. So, uh, so I, but I don't know if the crystal was found the night of Jonathan's funeral, or or not. That's that's. I don't think there's enough information to really say one way or the other. So, because it just makes it makes me think that like if if it does happen this night, like was the crystal waiting for Jonathan Kent to die? You know, like mm. okay, the minute that his father is no longer around. That's when the crystal is activated, or is it just based on at a certain age that Clark needs to get to? I I am willing to bet that it is months later, mm. and the reason why I say that is this Clark would have finished high school, mm-hmm. and if you know, I don't know what 
you know, they never say what year he's in. Uh, I, you know, just, we're just assuming he's a senior cause he leaves home. But I would just assume that a lot of time has passed because, uh, because of, of certain scenes that were removed from the theatrical cut. So, you know, you know, and you will see them in more in extended versions of it, but it just seems like some time has passed because I, I, I just, I just got always a sense that this was like some time later, you know, they, but they never uh, say that. So it is kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't, it, it never bothered me one, one way or the other. And it doesn't bother me. It just sort of, as we were watching it, I was just sort of like, huh, is this, you know, they never really established. I mean, later on, we will see uh, Phyllis Thaxter looking a lot older. So, yeah, clearly sometime is pale. Like, he doesn't leave immediately. But I always wondered about this very night. Like, is the crystal like, okay, it's time. You know, it's time to go, <laughs> Clark. But, you know, we'll, we'll never know. But, yeah, right. I think that scene, this whole scene, the, the setting, and you're right, Chris, they, they're not, it is clearly meant to be, you know, early dawn. Um, mm-hmm. And that time is a little eerie. I, I should know. I'm out there running every damn day. <laughs> it, it is. A, it, it does get a little creepy because it's super quiet. It's super, super quiet. So I can imagine. And and you know, from Clark's perspective, how scary is this guy to be? Because he knows he's unique. You know, he knows he's he he's the only one of his kind until Supergirl. Uh, and so, you know, he no longer has his protector around. That's got to be a very strange and, and eerie sensation. The, the shot of him opening those doors and the shot of him holding up the crystal uh, were used to, to incredible effect in the trailer for the special edition that popped up in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for a while there was going to be like a, a full theatrical like re-release of the special edition of the film, and they mm-hmm. cut together this trailer, uh, you know, because you guys spent a couple episodes talking about the various trailers of these movies, and they were very much of their time, you know. Uh, you know, if you ever see the trailer for the first Rocky film, it's just like, and here's Rocky, and here's Adrian, and here's Apollo, and here's the guy that sweeps up later. Uh, whereas by the 2000s, you know, trailers were punchy and whoever cut that Superman extended trailer together, just used the shot of him opening the doors and picking up the crystal to be like, you know, like you get excited because it's so epic. And the reason they use those shots is that they were epic. So, right. (laughs) It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there, but I, I love this scene mainly because, you're you're getting closer to that point where you're going to see Superman, and now you're seeing something important. You know the Green Crystal. When when Jarrell placed the Green Crystal, there's a reason why that crystal is green and the others are clear. You know it's important. So you know it's well, it's like Chekhov's Green Crystal almost. <laughs> like, like you know you don't introduce it unless you're going to use it, and now it's it's calling to him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> A nice, nice uh, call forward uh, there to <laughs> Superman too. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it, I, I did love that trailer. Uh, that got me so excited. The one, the two thousand one trailer, Mike, and the fact that that didn't come out in theaters is still. I'm still mad about it. Uh, <laughs> me too. Jeez, <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, I, I don't know, and I, I I never did hear exactly why. I'm guessing because they didn't want to. They decided they didn't want to. Uh, you know, damage the, you know, the buildup for whatever Superman movie was, 
still in production at that or you know in pre-production at that point but i don't know whose version that was if it was mcgee or who it was at that point oh, but dear god <laughs> but yeah don't ever read that script it'll just make you mad <laughs> but you know um the one thing about the crystal that it, it has and, and they made it green so it would stand out but it has even ever since i was a little kid i gotta mention this it bothered me that it was green because I, my first thought was kryptonite. Mm. You know? <laughs> and my daughter, Danny, walked through uh, the other day when I was watching this on the on the big TV. And she's seen this movie many times. And she said, well, why isn't he getting weak yet? And I'm like, well, <laughs> remember, it's not kryptonite. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. But why do they make it green? <laughs> <It's not> green. <laughs> and I said, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been asking that for 39 years. Why, you know, why not blue? I don't know, but uh, you know, but it's, uh, but it is green, and and there, and there you go. So there's, uh, <laughs> that's just what they did. <laughs> uh, you know, we we end actually on a very idyllic shot of the farm at sunrise, which does make it seem like it's the next day because you know now the it's the sun's actually coming up, but it, the whole Ben Hubbard thing kind of throws it off, but which we'll get to in the next episode. But one thing about the Kent house that really stuck out to me this time, and I never really thought of it before, but the house and the barn are just like old weatherboard, uh, which is what they would be in whatever year this was, 1960-something, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, Well, it has to be, yeah, so, uh, so late 60s. So because, you know, there were there's pictures of my grandparents' house from that period, and their house was still weatherboard. You know, I mean, it wasn't, there was no vinyl siding. I mean, I'm sure there was vinyl siding, but, uh, you know, farmers, you know, the good chance they wouldn't have spent the money to put vinyl siding on their farmhouse yet, you know, a, you know, a working on a working farm. Just little things like that is what, you know, paints this, this, uh, this picture that in, in Martha having lemonade in a pitcher <laughs> on the table as she's sewing on the front porch, you know, a pitcher of lemonade. I mean, just little things like that just totally sell this flash, you know, this, this flashback to a, to a bygone era, even though it's not that long ago, uh, really, because he can't be that old, but it's still because it's out in the country and it's a rural setting. It feels like it's even further back in time. It, you yeah, know, it does. It, yeah, and it, it, it Superman's morals come from a uh, from a you know a more uh, you know a farther back into a more you know uh, uh, stricter moral code than 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 probably the time that he was actually would have come up in. You know, so I, I think that's that's really interesting. Well, you you hit on one of the genius of this film is that there is so much showing and not telling. But it's still, it kind of seeps into your consciousness. The fact that, you know, in the comics at this point, when, in 1978 when the film was released, Smallville was on the East Coast. It mm -hmm. was, like, down the road, quote-unquote, from Metropolis. There's maps that they show you in some of the comics where it's just like, well, here's Smallville, and here's Metropolis, and here, yeah, there was a Bigville, too. I never bought it, but, you know, it was there on the comic book page. So I'm not going <laughs> to sit there and complain about it. But by putting by by putting Superman's, you know, in Kansas, 
and having the wheat fields and having it be a farm, you are taking him so out of the urban that it you you realize why Clark and Superman are the way they are because they weren't raised around city folk, you know, and 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 the fact that Chris even noticed that there wasn't any like vinyl siding on the house or or how the barn was constructed says to me that these people did their job and earned their paychecks mm-hmm. because they were able to sell it so convincingly that you just buy it. You don't question it. You know, it's just, he grew up on a farm and this is what it looked like. And I just, there's so much about this film that is just to me baffling that they got so much right. Yeah. <laughs> and with this part of the origin, they get it right. And like you said, they got it so right Somebody said, let's spend 10 years here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Chris, it, it has never occurred to me till you just said it that this really takes place in the 60s. It's, that never occurred to me. That, 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 it has to be. Mm-hmm. But that blows my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, there's hippies in this universe. That makes no, <laughs> that makes no sense to me because I always assumed this was like 1935 because, I mean, he's got the old-timey radio. And but you're right in terms of, you know, when the movie takes place, which is 1978 and when Clark gets it. This has to be like 1965, 66. That, that is blown my it's, mind. It's yeah. 12 of his years past. Right, yeah. So, yeah. And, 1966, and, yeah. And it makes sense that because in the 60s, I mean, even in the 80s, there were farms that were so out of the way that they didn't have, you know, cable television or, you know, I'm sure they they got all their water from a well, you know, yeah. you know, in this farm and all that. So, you know, the radio, the reason why it's a radio is, you know, they don't have a TV or if they had a TV, it was down in the family room and it was the one TV of the house. Oh, sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, 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 1966, wow. Oh, yeah, well, I, I, I tell you, uh, the house, I live out in the country in, in uh, a rural, uh, you know, uh, community, and uh, the house that we bought uh, 16 years ago, uh, it didn't have, it had cistern water. Uh, that's how they had their water. Uh, <laughs> uh, it had two cisterns, and we actually had the water line, had it connected to the county water line. Uh, so, you know, uh, Clark living in a farm setting that's a couple decades actually back from from where he when he actually was a teenager isn't that far fetched. I mean, there's still I still pass places that look like the Kent Farm on my way to town every day. You know, so. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, like a slightly, slightly, uh, it's a time warp in a lot of ways. <laughs> Quick question, guys. Trivia question for you. What's the name of Clark's dog on, in this movie? <laughs> I can never understand if it's Baron or Barrett. Yeah, I think it's Baron, but it could be yeah. Barrett. It could be Barrett. Yeah, that's true. I, th- I think it's Baron, but I could be wrong. I just... I I, I kind of remembered that, and then it kind of popped up in my ear when I had the headphones on listening to it, and I'm like, oh, that, there's a good little <laughs> trivia question to ask, but Boy, it's not crypto. If that had been part of the Superman movie contest in DC Comics, I would have failed. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did we fail to mention those guys last time, Rob? I hope we did. I, I had it in my notes, but we did. We those... did forget to me because you know it's funny that you say that, Chris, because Mike mentioned that on his last episode of Fortress of Bailey, dude. Yes, uh, and he brought. You know what? It, you know, time wise, I'm sure that by the time people hear this episode, it will not be the last episode of Fortress of Bailey, dude. But in terms of this recording. Right. Uh, it is the last day, and Mike mentioned that, and I'm like, we forgot to mention the contest winners. <laughs> I had it in my, I had it in my notes, but I forgot to mention. I thought we forgot to mention it. It's, I think they're the two guys that run by, and like, instead of uniforms, they're in like, aren't they in like sweat sweat shirts and sweat pants or something? And the picture I remember seeing of them, they were in football jerseys and okay, like they were and everything. Okay, they were in the jerseys. They they were the shorter guys that run by because they were younger than the rest of them. I think that that's probably what it was. But yeah, I I I I because I remember seeing that picture that ran in the DC Comics. You know, the it was like a crappy black and white photo. You know, because it was printed on a comic book page. Uh, but you can kind of make out who who they are when they run by. That's right, they are in uniform. Yeah. Yeah. I literally did a facepalm when I heard Mike say that, and it dawned on me that we forgot to mention it, <laughs> and I was driving. Yeah, I think it was Overlooked Dark Knight, because you guys were talking about the Batman, yeah. the second, yes. yep. second Superman movie contest, and you talked about him playing football, the guys that won the first one getting to play football players in, at Smallville High. Yep. So. <laughs> And just, just wait until the next episode where we talk about all of the freaking house ads DC ran around the time this film came out and how you just wanted every single thing that they offered to sell you. Uh, it's, just, it's just glorious. It's just mm. glorious. <laughs> well, got anything else to say about these five minutes? I think uh, I'm, I think we're, I'm good. Yeah, me too. Because I, 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 if, I, if I keep going... We're going to be talking like another like three hours about how amazing you know this film is. So, <laughs> I same here, same here. So that'll bring us to the close of minute thirty-five. Uh, Michael, Rob, and I would like to thank you for stopping by, and uh, you think you might be able to stick around for five more minutes? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're you're putting me up in the barn, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to sleep in one, uh, and you know. I'm gl- I'm glad that you had the the water hooked up to the county line because I don't want to have to I don't have to prime a cistern on a Saturday night because that's trouble. That's right. Right here in River City. That's right. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you in the meantime? The great thing is now it's all in one central location, so I don't have to give out like a, a billion freaking URLs. FortressofBaileyDude.com is the home of the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network logo by Rob Kelly. And there you can find all of the shows that I do, views from Crisis to Crisis, Overlook Dark Knight, it all comes back to Superman. Recently, I changed things up. So if you're looking for past episodes of any of the shows, uh, the links on the side of the screen will take you to the RSS feed, where you can where all the episodes are listed and you can directly download them, uh, which is so much easier than me having to create those. Uh, laziness is the mother of invention, in my opinion. But there, you know, uh, I, I talk Batman, I talk Superman, I talk comics, and um, I am so glad that I was able to get everything together and that it didn't kill me. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely check check all those out, guys. I'm sure most everybody listening to this. As uh, is uh, well, maybe some not, maybe some of the movie minute people haven't. If you haven't checked them out, uh, 
then definitely go to uh, Fortress of Bailey 2 Network. There's some great stuff there. And uh, Rob, uh, if you want to tell them where they can find you and me on, <laughs> on the interwebs. We'll, we'll cut right to the chase, much like with Mike. It's all in one location. All of our shows, which combined is about 40 different podcasts, I'd say, they all can mm-hmm. be found on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yes, good, that good, short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, please be sure to leave your thoughts on Superman the Movie over at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can leave us a review on iTunes if you're feeling froggy. Uh, join our never-ending battle next time here on Superman Movie Minute. Bye. This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night. Night.